Whether a person travels to watch sports or to participate in sport, our love of sports is a common motivator for local, national, or international travel. I remember as a teenager loving rugby, but I also loved that playing on a rugby team meant occasional travel. That was like one of the the drawing factors to it. Welcome back to Alpaca My Bags. I'm your host, Erin. Today I'm joined by Carolina. Hey, Erin. Um, yeah, so I'm Carolina Tomaszewska. <laughs> Please tell us about your dog. <laughs> oh my god, so recently I just did a photo shoot with my dog. His name is Buckminster. And, uh, do you, when you call him, do you say, hey, Buckminster, come here? I say Buckminster because I believe Buckminster. in full names only. <laughs> you don't ever use a nickname? I don't like it. I just like full names. So it's like at the dog park, it's like Buckminster. And so he needs to <laughs> hear like all three syllables, Buckminster. Um, but I mean, with age, he's like almost nine now, though. So um, <laughs> yeah, but so I have a normal day job that I work nine to five. Um, so... In addition to that, I do a lot of things outside of that. I do a lot of running. I participate in cultural events. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to traveling because it really um, gives me something else and something else to look forward to that's like outside of my normal day-to-day thing. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people like travel, actually. It's definitely why I do. Um, Erin, I heard you have something to say about street food. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's this. New, have you seen this show on Netflix yet? I don't know. It's called Street Food. And it's kind of like Chef's Table. And this is weird for me to be talking about because I'm not really into food shows because of my peanut allergy, obviously. Like, I can't <laughs> eat most of it. So why would I watch a show about it? Um, but Lucas loves food shows. So we always have to watch them. His whole family, actually. So it was actually his entire family that was like, we need to watch the show. And I was begrudgingly like, okay, I'll watch this food show. But it takes place around the world in different locations. So the first one, his mom was like, we have to watch it. Like, it's Delhi, India. You guys have been there. It's going to blow your mind. So we watch it. And I cried. It was so good. And they tell these like beautiful stories about like the people that make the food. So it's about street food and like you learn about Mm. the food itself. But a lot of the show is about telling the story of like the people behind the food and the tradition behind the food. And literally every episode I was bawling. It's so great. That's really good. I mean, I'll look that up because I know when I've done some traveling, sometimes I look to those food shows to write down pointers of like, where should I go and whatever. But then those places usually end up being pretty popular. Yeah. And then there's big lines. So that's interesting you say that because I obviously like we're going to India this year and we were like, oh, well, let's go check out this food stall while mm. we're in Delhi. Right. And I was like, I wonder if anyone has figured out where it is because it's in like a really obscure location. It doesn't have an address per se. But then I Googled it. And of course, like already several articles <laughs> are like, here's where you can find it. So it's kind of ruined. But regardless, like it's a great thing for that vendor. And when you're watching the show, you're like, wow, these people, like, they really rely on this. Mm -hmm, It's like mm -hmm. their means to live and the means to, like, put their children through school. And so I'd say, like, compared to other food shows, it's nice to see them highlighting Mm, people who can use the publicity rather than just, like, our typical bougie chefs that went to France for school. (laughs) 
So in a couple of our episodes, we have touched on health and wellness travel, uh, like yoga retreats and the concept of travel as self-care. But we're going to chat with Carolina about what we argue is another example (laughs) of travel. It's the beer example of travel as self-care sports tourism. And this is something that you've participated in now for a few years. Um, Do you want to tell us what, in your view, sports tourism is? Yeah, I guess, I mean, for me, it's uh, going to a different place and uh, touring around it, but there is a sport element to it. And for me, sport is very loosely defined. Um, I don't watch much sports. Um, I tend to just partake in things. So it's usually like if there's like a, a running event or a surfing thing or like mountain climbing thing uh so very loose but outside of what i can find in toronto cool um so i did a little little wiki research good old wikipedia so they say that sports tourism refers to travel which involves either observing or participating in a sporting event which is exactly what you described Um, So sports tourism in Canada is a fast-growing sector of the global travel industry. In 2015, sport tourism in Canada surpassed $6.5 billion in spending, which is a lot of money, like more than I would imagine. It's important to note, though, that this term encompasses dollars that are spent on travel to watch sports, as well as dollars that are spent on travel to participate in sports. Um, and that's a pretty important di- distinguishment. Dist- that's not a word. That's a pretty important thing to distinguish because there's definitely a difference between people who like travel to go watch the Blue Jays play in Detroit versus people who travel to like run the Boston Marathon. Um, so the surge in the sports tourism sector is largely um, attributed to technology, especially for those who are traveling to other locations to watch sports. It wasn't until like pretty recently, like the dawn of the internet, that game schedules and ticket buying became accessible online. And so that's made it a lot easier for people to do like travel to the US, for example, to go see sports. So aside from a few rugby trips around Ontario, I don't know that I myself have participated in sports tourism. Um, I went to one football game while I was living in the Netherlands. Hmm. But actually... I guess like you could call it, so I climbed a volcano in Guatemala and it was grueling and painful and I couldn't walk for a week after. Mm -hmm. So I guess that counts. I feel like if there is a physical component, it it would count as sport. Yeah. So maybe I've done more than I think I have. I trained for that. I think you have to. It was hard. I mean, cut the cardio up, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, so tell me about your relationship to sports tourism. And actually, like before that, tell us what your relationship to travel is in general. Yeah. Um, so I should mention, I guess, that I am Polish. And then so I was born in Poland and then I lived there when I was young. And then I moved to Germany and I lived there for a couple of years. But I came to Canada when I was about seven. And then so most of my growing up happened in Canada and... I uh, grew up mostly in Ottawa, and I did, I did uh, university, and I did postgrad in Montreal. And throughout that time, I went nowhere. 
Um, I was always going to school, also working, and so just like had no time to ever go anywhere, also had no money. And then even after that, I was working only contract jobs and only had vacation. So I had zero vacation days because um, as a contractor, you just have nothing. So basically, I went nowhere for the longest time. And then I had a friend that was working in travel, like she was working for a travel company. And she was like, Carolina, why don't you ever go anywhere? You got to like go somewhere. And I was like, where am I going to go? I have no money. And she's like, well, and at the time she was, she had moved to India for a bit. She's like, come visit me in India. You can stay for free. And I was like, oh, well, this is a great idea. Like I'll go to India. So having never been anywhere, um, I decide to go on this trip to India um, like total amateur, like packing, like traveling, didn't realize it was like three flights to get there. Didn't realize anything. And I was just like, so naive arriving, being like, this is a vacation now. And it was, it was quite the experience, um, as my first trip in like over 10 years. So, and that was only in 2015. So that was only four years ago. So that was my first trip. And since then I'm I'm hooked. So when did you start combining sports and travel? Yeah, so I guess after that trip to India, I also started being active. And so being active, I started running in the city. And just like casually, like in the alleys, like in the evenings after work. And I would run in a group setting because I I don't have much motivation to do much on my own. But if there's like a group, I will be like, okay. 8 p.m. on a Tuesday, I can make that. And I would. And then, like, as things do, like, you chat to people running. And people people were doing these exciting things, you know. They're like, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I was like, wow, okay, this is cool, I guess. Meanwhile, I'm, like, struggling to keep up on the, on just, like, the local social run. But one person appeared one day, and this guy was, like, from New York and was just, like, popping in for a social run. And his name was, like, Nacho. And he tells me, he's like, oh, Carolina, you know, they have these things. They're called Bridge the Gap events. I'm like, what does that even mean? And apparently, it's like where a local run community will host an event, and then they will host travelers from other places to their place. Oh. So, like, if I was traveling somewhere and I needed a place to stay, you know, if it was like a Bridge the Gap event, they could, like, arrange to put me up. Or they could arrange, like, certain things or whatever. So it was, like, this built-in community of, like, running, sharing things. Whoa, that's so cool. So that was, like, the first I'd ever heard of it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been all over doing that. And, like, I was like, okay. So it was one day, and that was, like, ingrained in my head. And I tried to Google it, and I didn't find too much info. I was like, this must be, like... A secret Kind of secret. Like, how do I get on the inn? (laughs) But all of a sudden, I think an event appeared and it was in Washington, which wasn't that far. And I was like, oh, my God, there's one of these Bridge the Gap events. And I sold it to my friends. I was like, hey, listen, we have to go. It's a Bridge the Gap event. It's going to be really fun. And I'm like, meanwhile, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. (laughs) But like they're saying it's cool and you register and there's like a whole like whatever. So we got, I think, five or six people in to put our names in the ballot because it's like they have to draw you to do this so the event is based around a run so in this case it was a cherry blossom 10 mile 
So that's like 16 kilometers. And I hadn't run that distance ever, but I was like, whatever. This is going to be really hype. It's in Washington. It's going to be cool. And a bunch of people agreed to go with me. And we, of course, got in on the ballot. So we're like, yay, <laughs> we're in. We're going to Washington. And sure enough, like a couple days before, they release a schedule for these events. So it's like depending what day you get in there, you can um, – there's like a run around the monuments – there's like a carbo loading dinner. So like before the race, you're supposed to eat a bunch of carbs. So they prepared like a dinner with like dancing and a bunch of stuff. There's a post-race party. So like all these things are prepared for out-of-towners and the locals to like celebrate this like running event. But you also get to see the monuments and like there's there's a bit of a tourism element included yeah, in so that. Yeah, so they... So they specifically made, so a shakeout run is the run you do before the run, the pre-run run. Whoa. And so the pre-run was around the monuments to kind of show you Washington from like a local's perspective. And all the venues they picked were local venues that that particular, so it was like, I think it's called, what is it? Running, District Running Collective that hosted the event. Mm. And so it was like their favorite spots. So we made it to Washington. I guess I was going to tell the story of like trying to get to Washington because it was a bit messy. Yeah, it was challenging. Don't you just take a plane? So I thought like it would be very close and you just take a plane. But somehow all five of us booked different flights. So like I was on one flight with a friend and then two other people were on a morning one and someone else was like way earlier and everyone's flights got canceled and I was like oh no and like the cancellations start flowing and like I'm at work and I get a bing it's like your flight has been canceled you've been rebooked to Monday I was like wait that's like after the whole race ends so I was like oh no tapity tap on the computer like please fix this I mean meanwhile one girl was already in the air so that was like okay so she's like on her way <laughs> everyone else is canceled so it's like this massive flurry of texts of like who's canceled who's this da, da, da. so I managed to rebook myself and my friend for like a layover in Boston and I'm feeling confident and I'm feeling great and somehow my friends also rebook but somehow they keep getting canceled like all their rebookings get canceled So then everyone arrives at the airport and we're like, what do we do? Like, I still have a functioning flight. So two (laughs) of us do. Three of them don't. And one is in the air. So then the three of them decide to drive. No. And I'm like, oh, I hate cars. Like, I just don't do road trips. So I'm like, I'm going to just hope, hope that this flight is not canceled. Yeah. And magically it wasn't. Okay, phew, I was going to say. (laughs) But it was delayed. (laughs) And it was so delayed that I was in the air and my connection in Boston had come up. I was like, okay, well, right now our Boston flight is leaving. I guess Boston is cool too. We can stay there and hopefully get there the next morning. But somehow we ran through the airport, caught the connecting flight, arrived in Washington, and it was magical. And then I'm like, yay, let's get to the Airbnb. The girl, like the previous person that left in the morning was texting us all day. She's already there. It's perfect. Let's go. We get there. Ring-a-ding-ding. 
and no one answers the door. I'm like, where is this girl? Like, it's late. It's like 11 o'clock at night, but like still. Yeah. I'm like ringing. I'm like, got to turn the dad on, phone her. Nothing's working. So I, you know, phone the people in the car. I'm like, have you guys heard from this girl? Like, I'm here at the Airbnb. There's two of us. We're trying to get in and we can't get in. And they're like, no, we haven't heard anything. It's now getting like to midnight. I'm like, oh no, what's happening here? I didn't know what to do, so we're like, okay, let's go get pizza and a beer, I guess. Because, like, what can we do until this situation clears itself? And I guess what had happened is she fell asleep. So she was just sleeping. She was in there the whole time. In there, sleeping. Where did you sleep? So I ended up at this, like, we had to, like, bar hop because they kept closing. (laughs) And finally one, like, let us in. And I'm like, listen. We're from Canada. We're locked out of the Airbnb. Just let me hang out here. Poor guy was like, okay, you just sit at the bar. (laughs) And I just kept like trying to phone my friend. And I think around 4.30, 4.30, she answered and was like, hello. (laughs) And I was so mad. I was like, I cannot talk to this girl right now. (sighs) So my friend did. And she's like, we're coming in now. So needless to say, we were tired. To <laughs> oh, it was tiring. But like, I was like, we have to go to this thing. We have to go to the pre-run run or else like we won't know what's up. <laughs> and the pre-run run was good. Like it was so nice. They took us around Washington. The music, they just like basically closed off a street and it was like a big party in the street. There was like coffee and bagels and photo booths and like people dancing. Like the run was like pretty short compared to the actual event around it yeah so i was really happy i went and then you were hooked and then i was hooked ever since so where have you traveled to run in like where else in the world oh my god now it it does yeah i guess i went after washington i picked i wanted to pick like a big goal race so i was like okay i did my cherry blossom 10 mile so what's after that it's like a half marathon And instead of doing, like, a local run here in Toronto, I was like, no, it's got to be big. It's got to be far. It's got to be cool. Anyway, so I picked Copenhagen. (laughs) Because I'd never been there. Haven't, you know, only been to India. I was like, Copenhagen looks cool. They've got bikes. They've got good beer. So I picked that as, like, my goal race. And sure enough, there was one of these, like, Bridge the Gap events there. So I ended up doing that as my first half marathon so you're hanging out with other runners when you arrive there yeah so like I guess so I went with my boyfriend and um our plan was to like visit Copenhagen and be tourists in that city but then there would also be running events planned for us that we could just attend which is nice yeah so like that running crew is called Enbro and they just planned a bunch of things like similar a pre-run run but of course it's like everything is a bit different in Copenhagen versus Washington. And so like it's great to see what different like running groups will show you. Like the brunch spots are like different, like the parties are different, the pre-run runs are different. It's like, oh wow. Yeah. Everyone's really blonde in Copenhagen. There was a the lot of blonde, yeah. Everyone's blonde and they all wear suits. Well, these are runners, so no suits. <laughs> so everyone was like in their running stuff were they all blonde though a lot but like this race also attracted a lot of like 
international people. Okay, so when you arrive there, like it's not ju- you weren't just hanging out with Danish people. There were like so people, they're the other host. Yeah, so oh. they're the host. That's funny because once you start traveling to these like running things, you start seeing people like, oh, there's that New York group. Oh, look, the oh. Germans are here. <laughs> And, like, so it's familiar pockets of people. Whoa. It's doing like a that. club, like an international club. I know. So wow. so that's been interesting. But other than that, I do have a Polish background, like I mentioned. So I have done a run in Krakow. Mm-hmm. Um, also went to Barbados with, like, a girl gang. And that was, like, really fun. There was, like, surfing, running. There was a, someone, one of my friends wanted to run a marathon on her birthday. As one does. Oh, wow. So she convinced all of us to also do varying lengths of running in a hot spot. So so a bunch of us ran shorter distances. Was, um, it, was it, it a sweaty one, that one? It was so hot. I couldn't. It was very, very hot. <laughs> uh, and then I wear, oh, yeah, just this April, I went to Berlin. Cool. So that was fun. I, Berlin had been on my bucket list for a while to go see. So that was, that was fun. Um, so, okay. I find this interesting because I'm like not a runner. But when I was younger, like in high school, I did cross country running. And I was okay. really into it for a couple years. I did run some like decent races, like 10K or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I know a little bit about running. And the thing I remember about it, the thing I remember liking about it was the meditative element of it Mm -hmm. Um, and like getting into that zone and pushing yourself, especially like, you know, like when you hit the wall. Mm -hmm. So that's like when you become so, 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 so exhausted and sometimes feel really sick um, and you have to really push through that. And once you push through the wall, like you feel a lot better and can keep going. So I'm aware of all this and like, I think that I've always been attracted to sports that are like that, that are like really active, but also meditative. Um, I'm also like into rock climbing, which is similar, where it's like an individual sport in a sense that when you're climbing on the wall, you're by yourself. You have a partner, but they're on the ground and Mm -hmm. like there's not like a lot of direct interaction. And it's super meditative because it's like a problem that you're solving as you're climbing. And so when I got into climbing, I was like, oh, this is kind of similar to running in that sense. Hmm. And running is also like it's an individual sport, but it's all there's also like a group and community element to it. But it's not like soccer where you're playing on a team. Yeah. And so I was thinking about this and I was like, it reminds me of like yoga in the sense that there is this like meditative aspect to it it's just in a different format Mm -hmm. so in a way like when you do these runs abroad or like travel to run it's almost like could you liken it to a retreat like a yoga retreat where people go somewhere specifically yes to see a new place but also to like really delve into their love of yoga and to feel like they accomplished something Yes, and I I do think it is. So I have not yet been to one of these, but I have been recently Googling these running retreats. So it's essentially a pre-planned running adventure. And so they take you, there was like a fun company that does them that I just found. It's called like Air Libra. And they take you to like Patagonia, Mexico City. And it's like six days 
all-inclusive and like four or five days of those are running but they immerse you in the culture so they apparently spend like a couple years researching kind of everything around there and then take a group of runners there on what they call a retreat um so it is you're like fully immersed in the culture in the people you get to see kind of like the sites without being like on a tour bus so everything kind of you do on foot so this is like kind of the next thing that I'm looking at because I think I've been in very like urban running centers like Berlin Copenhagen like everything has been very I guess yeah just like urban I haven't been exposed to much stuff that's like very different from what we have in Toronto like I guess I'm just I just love all the fancy foods abroad and the fancy beers that you know I've been drawn to there but having done like a couple of the half marathons over there now I'm looking for something different Mm -hmm. and as you were saying like the meditative nature of running I think that really speaks to me because like when you're running you really are disconnected it's the one time you're not bombarded by media you're kind of away from your phone you're in your head you're usually thinking about like, where am I going to step? What hurts now? Yeah. How far am I going when, you know? So it kind of is a very focused, moving meditation. Um, and so, like, having done that for, I guess, a couple years in the city now, I want to do it in, like, a trail setting. But I'm just a bit afraid of, like, animals and, like, things on the trails and... I don't know what I would do without, like, Google Maps. So, like, I just feel like a a curated adventure would be something that I would want to try. But at the same time, I guess it's hard to give up control and be like, well, what are they going to show me everything I want to see? It's hard to kind of allow someone else to plan your vacation for you. Okay, but you could potentially book one of those retreats and then just leave a couple days on either end yeah or maybe at the end when you're like really settled into the place and are ready to like go out and adventure on your own no totally totally yeah yeah like I think I'm lucky because right now I have a good group of friends that are also adventure seekers and they are driven by we want to do things Mm -hmm. like I have a chat group and we're we hashtag it do all the things because like we are open to a lot of different things And so we're planning our next adventure for, like, 2020, and it has to have some sort of component Mm -hmm. of, like, activity. So Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. So you had mentioned to me this thing called heavy metal chasers. (laughs) Because you were, okay, Carolina was telling me that she's like, oh, I'm not a serious runner. I run for leisure. And I know that there's, like, people who are serious runners. For sure. So I was try- I was explaining to Erin that I went to the places that I went. So like Copenhagen, Berlin, Barbados, some in Poland, um, be- to run races that do not have qualifying times. Um, because a lot of world, like big races do have qualifying times and expenses that go along with them. And it's hard to go as a group if you don't all qualify for a race. Um, so that was a big thing. And also, in order to qualify for a race, you have to be fast. 
So sometimes it's you need a qualifying time. Sometimes you need to be picked in the ballot. Sometimes you need both. So like the odds are not very good. But I mean, a lot of people strive to do these world major marathons. So like the those ones are Tokyo, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, and New York. So often whenever a ballot opens, all in the running communities of Flutter, they're like... I got in, you know, I put my name in for this ballot. I put my name in for that ballot. If I'd only, like most people don't get in to any of them, but like sometimes one person will get into one or like another one. It's like a big deal because there's like six major world marathons. So I was reading that if you get all six, um, it's called the six star finisher. Yeah. And only less than 5,000 people around the world have managed this. But I guess because a lot of it is up to whether your ballot gets selected. Yeah. Like there is an element of chance to it. Chance and... You have to qualify. And you have to qualify. So the hardest one to qualify for right now is the Boston. So, so many, like it's just, it takes, some people just can't hit those times. Like I could never... I don't know what the qualifying time is, but I think it's like three hours something for a marathon right now. And a marathon is 42K? Yeah. So, and it's, it depends on your age. It depends on your gender. And it goes, the time goes up a bit as you get older. So as you get older, you have a higher chance of getting in. Oh, interesting. They're also expensive. So like, I think like New York is like 400 US what like once you get picked if you get picked but like there's a whole experience to that i mean the security you get ponchos at the end <laughs> like is it branded so that everyone knows i, I think so the yeah marathon? Okay, yeah good because oh yeah so when people so talking about the world marathons and people so yes yeah, so if you do all six you get the super bling medal yeah how big is it i've seen it on the internet it's pretty big so Can it's you wear like, it around your neck or is yeah, it Yeah, you do. Big? You do wear oh. it around the neck because oh, it's cool. like mini versions of all the other medals. So oh. all combined. And so. you get a plaque I was reading. I think they give you a certificate too, yeah. So you get a whole... So it's a big deal. Big deal. Okay, well, I did some internet browsing because I had heard about this thing called the Marathon de Sable. Um, It's a six-day race across the desert of Morocco. And the distance of this race is the equivalent of six marathons. What's 42 times six? Google, where are you when I need you? Um, Okay, whatever, it's long. Um, And it's known as being the toughest foot race in the world, probably because you're in the desert. Um, Have you ever been in a desert, like a sandy desert? No. So I've been in one. And you think that it's going to be fun, like running on the (laughs) sand dunes. But then, like, I'll never forget, I was in Morocco, and they brought me to the Sahara, and I got off my camel, and I looked at this huge sand dune, and I was like, I'm climbing that sand dune. And it was huge. So you start running, and your feet just sink in, so you're running for, like, a minute, and you've progressed, like, 30 centimeters because you just sink backwards. And that's all. All I could think of it when I was reading about this marathon because they're running through like sand dunes and desert. So not only are they running like absurdly far, 252, 252 kilometers in the blazing sun, carrying like all their own um, 
uh, like gear and, gear and yeah. stuff for Ooh. the for the trip. It's just absurd. I was like climbing one of those sand dunes would be twice as hard as like running a regular race like on cement. So I'm curious about. So we talk like pretty frequently about gender on the podcast, especially in the context of travel. But I was wondering if you had like any insight or wanted to share any of your experiences. Um, being a woman who actively participates in sports? I mean, I guess sport is new. I wasn't active many years ago. So like I'd say, you know, only started running in 2016. So since then, I feel like I've come into running at like a pretty decent time. Uh, Races are open to women. You know, I'm able to enter to compete to run uh, I'm not blocked in most places to run mm-hmm. um, that being said I know that a lot of hard work was done before my time so like there was a big anniversary recently because I guess it was Catherine Switzer that became the first woman to run the Boston Marathon as a numbered entrant in 1967 which, which is, is not long ago. Which is not long ago at all. And, like, she only got in, apparently, because she used her initials, like, K.V. Switzer. Because women just weren't allowed in. But somehow she got a bib. Oh, and once they had issued it to her, they Well, apparently the race... Who was it? The race director tried to pull her off the course mid-race. But she managed to keep going. And that was in 1967. Yeah, she ran away. 67. So that's, like, crazy to think. Because... And then I checked what 2018 was. 2018 had 45% women. So I was like, wow. From 67, there was one woman now. It's like the field is 45% women. Yeah, that's That's incredible. a huge jump. Um, so I found a really interesting article from Chatelaine about the history of women competing in the Olympics. Um, so because the Olympics are such a noted and global event... I feel like they serve as a really good insight into the global status of women in sport. Um, So Laura Robinson writes that disparities in the the Olympics still exist. While men compete in the decathlon, which is 10 events, women have the heptathlon, which is only seven events. At the Beijing Games, uh, female track cyclists had three events compared to seven for men, and there are no flat water canoeing events for women. Um, which shuts out thousands of athletes. Um, and even more troubling, a handful of countries like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates only send male teams. Um, and this is a situation that the Olympics continue to condone, which, you know, problematic. Um, Huffports, H- Huffports. HuffPost reports that this disparity makes sense when you consider that the International Olympic Committee Executive Board was all men until 1990. Wow. That is not a long time ago. No. And today, out of the 15 members on the board, only four are women. And this shows because women competitors are prone to microaggressional misogyny in the Olympic coverage. So, for example, the cherished hockey commentator Don Cherry our very own, reminded us when in 2018 he compared the appearance of the Canadian women's hockey team to the U.S. team. He suggested that the Canadian women hockey team looked like fashion models wearing heels and the U.S. team just looked like slobs. Yikes. I think about, you know, I guess coming into running, I feel like, okay, 
I'm able to compete. I'm okay. Women must be doing okay. But then, you know, obviously there's so many issues. Like I, things pop up in the media all the time. And I, I think about things like, I think about like, what about recently when Serena Williams and her cat suit, like the outfit that she was wearing at the French Open was banned because, you know, she said she was wearing it for health reasons or whatever. But like, why do they have to comment on like what she is wearing if she's just a good player? Like that sort of stuff. And recently there was a big Nike campaign. I don't know if you guys saw this, the Breaking 2. So it was Nike put in, I think it's like millions of dollars to train three elite men runners to try to get them to break the two-hour marathon Hmm. barrier because no one's done it. So they thought if they could create the most perfect race situation, perhaps they will be able to make it happen and this got like so much coverage you know they got like a documentary out of it many commercials um like i remember i was watching it happen live at like my local running store on Mm -hmm. spadina at like 4 a.m because of the time change it was like so exciting but it was like this big hyped nike event but why do they not have such big sponsorships for women you know what I mean? Like, why is it the men that get to do these, like, oh, breaking two? Like, there's nothing yeah. comparable. Yeah, I think in the world of professional sports, it's, like, blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about, like, any sports game, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge, like, goer to games. <laughs> Put it that way. I don't go to sports events often, but I have never had the opportunity to go and see a women's team play. It's mm. never hyped up. Whenever you go to watch sports, you're watching men. That's and why true. don't like women get the same amount of money put towards their games? And why isn't there enough hype or more hype put towards watching women play? Like, what is it about, what is it about watching a women's hockey team that just is like so uninteresting compared to like the men's team? Yeah, so we've touched on the Olympics a little bit and I'm thinking in part two, We're going to delve into the Olympics a little bit more because there's actually so much to say about the Olympics and like what they mean in terms of tourism and the impact that they have on tourism. Um, So this has been part one with Carolina and I'm going to catch you on the flip side.